LFG people, hello and welcome to today's bonus episode of Blockchain Insider. I'm Mauricio Magaldi, Global Strategy Director for Crypto here at 11FS. In today's show, we're doing something a bit different. Last week, there was a new story that really caught our attention. New Musical Express published an article called Ticketmaster Trialing NFT Gated Presales for Avenged Sevenfold Tour. So, Ticketmaster has teamed up with metal band Avenged Sevenfold to offer fans their NFT-gated presale tickets to the band's tour. Avenged Sevenfold, who have their own NFT community fan club called the That Bats Club, partnered with Ticketmaster to integrate its fan club into its system, which will reportedly provide fans with priority access to tickets and other levels of security, including the absence of bots and scalpers. In a statement to Billboard, Avenged Sevenfold frontman M. Shadows said the partnership and NFT gating process is instrumental in assuring that fans get best tickets at the best prices without bots, scalpers, and long wait times. By connecting a user's crypto wallet to their Ticketmaster account, fans will have an added layer of security through crypto verification. This development comes after Ticketmaster's latest controversy with The Cure earlier last month, where frontman Robert Smith revealed that he had spoken to the ticketing system to issue small refunds to fans who had purchased tickets. And this reminded me of a recent conversation I had with our very own Global Strategy Director for Customer Experience, Kate Moody, and our Global Strategy Director for Embedded Finance, David Barton Grimley. We sat down to discuss everything that went down with Ticketmaster in the past few months, which included the issues they ran into with tickets for Glastonbury Festival, Bad Bunny's tour, and of course, and perhaps the biggest and most publicized one, Taylor Swift's Eras tour. We not only discussed what happened, but we also talked about some of the issues at play, such as bots, inclusivity, and queue system issues. And it wouldn't be a true 11FS discussion if we didn't take a look at potential solutions and learnings, which of course included blockchain. So with that, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did and tell us what you think over on our social media channels. Can't wait to hear from you, LFG. It all started with Taylor Swift, and I'm going to try to make a long story short. After tickets for the star's first US tour in five years went on sale in November 2022, chaos kicked off around the verified fan presale. For context, Swift last toured pre-pandemic and in the interim has produced three critically acclaimed albums breaking multiple Spotify records. So understandably, demand for the tickets was at a peak. Over 3.5 million people pre-registered for the Taylor Swift Ticks pre-sale, powered by Verified Fan, which is the largest registration in history. According to a Ticketmaster press release, historically around 40% of invited fans actually show up and buy tickets, and most purchase an average of three tickets. Around 1.5 million people were sent codes to join the fan sale for all 52 show dates, including the 47 sold by Ticketmaster. The remaining 2 million verified fans were placed on a waiting list with a small chance that tickets might still be available after those who received the codes had shopped. What followed was one of the most disastrous ticket sale rollouts of all time. Loyal fans who had effectively been promised tickets for the tour had faulty access codes, 
long delays on a website that couldn't cope with overwhelming demand, and bots broke through all barriers. The result was nothing less than outrage. Although hundreds of thousands of tickets were sold, millions of people had attempted to get tickets, and many verified fans were left empty-handed when the site crashed. The pre-sale was eventually cancelled altogether. Ticketmaster said the verified fan tactic was supposed to deter bots and scalpers, but tickets were immediately being resold on sites like StubHub for up to $20,000. Ticketmaster released a statement that went on to explain what had happened, presenting themselves as helpless victims of an unprecedented, if entirely predictable, mismatch of supply and demand. The Swifties didn't just get mad, they got organised. A group of 26 are suing Ticketmaster for, among other things, fraud and price fixing. Separately, the US Department of Justice has opened an antitrust investigation after decades of shoddy practice, Ticketmaster might finally be forced to clean up its act in 2023. Swift's tour debacle caused outrage and caught global media attention, but we've seen similar ticket release issues for Glastonbury Festival in the UK and for Puerto Rican rapper Bad Bunny. So has Ticketmaster really learned a lesson? Whew. So there's a lot going on. Um, Where's the best place to start? There's a ton of issues here. David, what do you think has really happened? I'm not entirely sure they have learned their lesson. I mean, you know, as you say, people have been angry with Ticketmaster since, I think, the 90s. Um, and this is just one of their latest attempts at trying to solve the bot problem. Um, and there's a lot of chat online as to whether they're even incentivized to, to solve the, chat, uh, the bot problem. But let's, let's park that. What it looks like they're doing here is they've created a system to try and solve um, failings with their core system, which is verifying real, genuine fans, only to have that system then fail, without addressing the actual core problem, which is identity verification, stopping fraud, and actually sanctioning people running these bots on the system itself. Um, Mauricio, what do you reckon? I think, I mean, you don't want to get in the way with the Swifties, right? That's a big problem <laughs> to have. And if there's any contingent of fans that could actually stand up to a mogul, a monopoly like Ticketmaster, is the Swifties, right? Um, but that aside, I think there are several layers of the problem. I think one is incentives, because economically, the more um, you sell, the faster you sell, then there is obviously you've achieved break-even, and then you're target profit, then it's easier for you to say, well, it's not my problem, the tickets were, were sold, everyone now go find you know, uh, a, a website, a secondary market. But I think the core issue here is that how do you actually identify people? Like, we're, we're in financial services, banking have been uh, demanded for know your customer for so long, yeah. and we do have shortcomings here and there, but there is a standard in the industry that respects that, and that is ideally where I think these things should kind of end up. How do you really know, and there are many ways to do that, how do you really know that a fan is a fan, and that is that fan that ha is actually buying the one, two, three tickets that they're entitled to when those things happen? Um, there's obviously security flaws, there's obviously performance flaws, but I think the, under the bigger underlying issue is who are you that, that buying, that's buying that, and it, are you buying on the, if, if, if the bottleneck is performance, how do you manage the windows for those purchases if you don't know who's buying? So I think these are some of the things that transpired, but I think in a higher end of things, the incentives are just not there. Dave, one of the other issues that fans encountered was sort of timeouts for payments, right? So there were uh, 
setups in place so that if you didn't complete your transaction a certain amount of time, you lost your tickets? What's, what's your view on that? Is that a, a fair tactic for them to take or is it uh, excluding certain fans from the, the ticket process? I think it would be excluding certain fans from the ticket process. I think that also there are other ways that you should be allowing people to make payments. I think if you look at what the bots are actually doing is they're using credit and debit cards, virtual cards that are super easy to spin up, preloading them with money and then just spamming the system. Whereas people won't be able to do that, right? They'll have to manage their own, their own finances. So I think there are other types of payment methods that could actually help to solve that problem. That's what I would say. In, the, in that particular scenario, what you're actually incentivizing is high-performance applications because if you're compressing time, then the window for you to actually go around and click and choose and then proceed to pay and check out as a human will never be as fast as a bot, yeah. right? So what you're actually incentivizing is, like we do in financial services, again, the same parallel, high-performance trading, high-speed trading high-frequency trading, you have bots that are even physically closer to uh, exchanges, so the latency is reduced, so you get more of that edge front-running the market. This is exactly what a window like this would force you to do, is to be much more um, capable of dealing with automation at scale to actually front-run a human being. So apparently that is what this type of a device with the timing would force you to do if you want to actually grab that. But if you're in an organization that's actually going for the tickets for uh, piling up secondary market later, you have that kind of firepower. The Swifties might not have that. Are you guys fans of like the queue system or are you more advocates of the sort of jackpot lottery scenario that some people, I'm a Glastonbury fan, I've bought Glastonbury tickets, lots of people say that Glastonbury should have a lottery to allocate tickets rather than a queue. Like, is there is there a better way? Is there a solution? I think the better way is to authenticate that a person is a person, really. Um, and then how you do that, whether it's a queue or whether it's a lottery, you as a customer need to feel like you have a chance of this actually working and not constantly failing is what happens with Ticketmaster, partially because it acts as a monopoly and they have no incentivized, they are not incentivized to change the way that, that things run at the moment at all. Yeah, I'm not a fan of lottery because, you know, luck you know, is, 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 a, is a weird thing to kind of get in the way, especially if you're a fan and you're like always frustrated, you'll never get um, selected. It's, it's kind of piles up in the whole overall fan experience. I really think that ID, like there's a bunch of fan clubs that are very well organized that they could start doing like uh, some form of uh, credentialing and, and pooling uh, together some of those uh, fans in regions or, you know, whatever demographic group you want to uh, use to actually separate and make things smoother for them. I think there are other ways to actually use data in favor of selecting the fans. Um, not every method is going to be really fair or democratic, but I think if you have that amount of people that are interested in actually going and doing it, I think you can use pre-existing um, social constructs like fan clubs to actually go and build something that is closer to the fans. Because remember, this is an intermediary between the artist and the fan base. And now everyone now has to pay a toll to get access to the artist, which then is not great to the artist because I'm pretty sure it was expensive for Taylor to go through all of this mass. And it was frustrating to the fans as well. So there are ways to disintermediate um, such 
construct in ways that are closer to the fans and closer to the artist that I think would work much better. At that scale, maybe not yet, but eventually we're going to see a lot more uh, of the ticketing industry coming and trying things like NFTs and other forms of tokens that would then make it easier for you to know who you actually are because you're now credentialized by your ecosystem, your peer fans, and you know even the artists could actually do that. So I think right now, uh, experimentally, there are some of these things happening uh, for, for it to happen at scale, at this scale with like 3.5 million people. Uh, I think it's uh, a little bit, you know, a, still away, but evolving. And maybe this would be one interesting case to, you know, to stress test the model, like NFT credentials and stuff like that. I think one of the other things that Ticketmaster have done, which has angered fans, is to play around with this you know, dynamic pricing, demand-led pricing. Um, not in the Taylor Swift instance, but maybe in some of their other sales. So, again, what's, what's your take on? Well, this is where a lot of the controversy comes in because a lot of people think that Ticketmaster incentivized for brokers to go in and run these bots and drive the price up as high as possible. They make more money. Also, the artist makes more money because they also get a share of the ticket sale, right? So the higher the ticket prices are, the more money, the more money that, they, that they make. So there's a whole incentive thing about how the market is, is organized, which is which is terrible for the end customer. And if you look at us in financial services, we are regulated, right? So in financial services, you cannot do this for the customer. You have a duty of care to provide customer service and transparency for how your pricing is actually done. And I think this is a much bigger issue in the e-commerce industry as a whole with dynamic pricing. You see this in the travel industry, you see this with hotels, you see this with e-commerce sites. And the people who are working in Ticketmaster are going to be thinking about optimizing for conversion. They're gonna be thinking about how to get that pricing so you're gonna be hitting the maximum profitability as opposed to having a fair and just outcome for the customer. It kind of evokes a little bit of the art industry where you have auctions, right? Yeah. But these are very limited pieces. It's not like 52-run tour or 52 concerts, right? It's, 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 it's reduced, it, the, the, the actual piece is unique. So it's, it's a different kind of setting. And that's what drives that piece of, the, the price of that one piece up. Why would you do that with, you know, 3.5 million potential buyers, right? So instead of selling to 3.5, you sold to maybe 1.5. And then you're creating a secondary market on top of that, that maybe even uh, Ticketmaster won't have access to that secondary edge. The artists certainly won't. So even though at the primary sale, you might have dynamic pricing and the pricing spiking up, and then obviously the bots snagging all of the tickets on the secondary market, the artist doesn't see that. Yeah. Maybe Ticketmaster doesn't see that either. So there has to be some form of balance in that combination of incentives that you can maximize how much you can sell it for reaching the biggest number of people so that doesn't leak into a secondary market where the value is not with no one that's involved in the artistry anymore. So it doesn't reward the artist. So I think there is probably some form of algorithm that would then cap it because Again, that comes back to identity. If a bot has an identity and there's a limit for three tickets, no matter how fast that bot is, if there's one single identity attached to it, that's all they're getting. So that should cap the incentive or the price spike incentive in that model. So 
again, comes back to who are you? Who are you doing? What are you doing? Who are you buying for? So that's, I think it's kind of rolls back into the identity problem. Tons and tons of problems to fix in this industry. We're going to press pause here as that wraps up this part of the show. We'll be back after these messages. Buying a home is the biggest and most significant purchase most people make in their lifetime. And it doesn't matter where in the world you're buying, the process is rarely easy. In our latest report, experts from our 11FS Ventures team look at why the home buying process is broken, how we can fix it, and the massive commercial opportunity it presents for banks and fintechs. Download your free copy at 11fs.com slash homebuying. That's 11fs.com slash homebuying. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Now it's time to take a look at how we could be avoiding issues like this. Maurizio, what are some of the potential solutions? How can how can fintech help? How could blockchain potentially solve some of these potential issues? So I think one of the larger um, issues that are that's underneath all of this is the ability to actually identify who's buying the fan if it's an actual fan if like it's being credentialized by a fan club or something to that effect so i think bots have a very hard time proving that they're someone right so if you can have someone that is either the artist or related to the artist the organization around the artist to actually issue credentials to the fan club or to the Swifties and they can use that to leverage like a window for shopping or even the number of tickets, it would be very hard to actually implement that in a multitude of robots. I mean, it would be harder for robots to actually go and circumvent that device. That said, that is not the only way to deal with that. So I think uh, if we think about um, even creating alternative forms of purchasing, so we had credit cards, debit cards, virtual cards, but you could also accept cryptocurrencies or stable coins that go directly from a wallet to another as a peer-to-peer transaction. So that would probably help with the bottleneck on the other paying systems. I'm not saying that this is the only way to do it, but I think there will be uh, other ways to use other payment rails to actually facilitate that. And because you can actually automate the atomic swap between the ticket and the uh, and the money purchased, it's just one asset coming one way, the money coming the other, and that's it. There's no opt in the middle. So all of that kind of makes it easier for you to actually identify the person, make the swap between the two uh, the two assets. I mean the payment and the ticket, and then you can go and redeem the ticket at a later date or in in the booth. You know, it's it's all sorts of um, post-processing that can be done once the person has the ticket or the NFT, the corresponding NFT. So I think these are some of the ways that I see um, the problem being mitigated, but I think there's still an overarching problem of this being a monopoly. 
Yeah. I think if we make the assumption that um, a fan values a ticket as a high-value transaction, right? So you mentioned Glastonbury, for example. So if you really want to go to Glastonbury and the tickets cost hundreds and hundreds of pounds, and actually if you do have a, a queue window of a month or several weeks, for example, then surely you should then be incentivized to provide enhanced KYC in order to go through the, the transaction. And, and there's all sorts of different things that you can do, like you mentioned crypto. There's also in the open banking um, space, if you make the transaction via open banking, you can use um, the account record that you get from open banking to verify that that person, that that person is a person and that person is real. But even outside of embedded finance, I mean, if you just look at very basic kind of KYC tech that we have in fintech, like video um, you know, ID or face ID or touch ID or just any of the basic stuff that we proof use. Proof of life. Proof of life. All of that, not only does all of that exist, I mean, a few years ago, a lot of that technology was very bespoke and very expensive, but now you can buy those in as, as a service software and capability where you pay per call. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that I can't understand why they haven't looked at this technology. I can't understand why they're not changing the way that they think about these transactions. I mean, this isn't buying a t-shirt online, right? This is a much higher value transaction and therefore people should be and have proved to be through the verified fan system willing to spend time. So Ticketmaster should be rewarding that with better tech and they're not doing it. I agree. David, everyone likes to think about embedded finance as kind of like the savior of financial services. Is there anything about embedding finance in this particular instance that would, would make it easier? Like, is there anything about the fact that you've got Ticketmaster and payment spaces separately? Is that creating an issue or? Well, it's interesting. I mean, it comes back to the how easy it is now to spin up virtual cards, right? And that is probably one of the reasons why the bots are able to operate the way that they the way that they do. And through open banking, I think you can solve some of that problem. I'm pretty sure someone would be able to write a bot that can can do the the payment initiation. I'm, I'm sure that would be possible, but it would certainly slow down the process and give Ticketmaster a hell of a lot more data that they can take action on. Um, to do it. But, but then on the other hand, you would then just need to say the only way to buy this ticket is to use open banking and not use credit cards or debit cards at all. And, and that opens up all, all, sorts of, all sorts of different problems there. There might be a crypto element, I think, that, that, that might make it, make it better. You could also do things like embedded insurance, but I'm sure an insurer wouldn't want to touch this with a barge pole right now, given how... Uh, well, how now they have track is. record, so... Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I would say it's mostly around the payment section where embedded finance can, can add the most value. And I think you mentioned open banking, right? I think the, the whole core tenet of open banking is use the data yeah. across the, the financial system as a whole. And there are some services that are actually using open banking data plus behavioral data yeah. in the devices to actually see whether the purchase behavior is a human pattern or is a bot pattern, right? The speed in which we move the mouse, the patterns that we use to move the mouse, the way we handle even the uh, cell phone itself, they can measure that in the biometrics. So I think it's really interesting to see some of these um, fintechs that are actually working on these things in financial services apply to the ticketing industry if this is the case. Um, we know that doing things that are very, very sophisticated and require a lot of computational power at scale is super hard. But if the cost of having a fan experience be better, I think it's worth trying some of these things. Again, it comes down to is there incentives for that? 
And I think, you know, this uh, lawsuit is probably going to provide enough incentive for that to change. Have we seen any good example? And we've talked about lots of different solutions or options here. Like, have we seen any good examples of this actually being practiced anywhere else? Obviously, we're being critical of Ticketmaster, but is anyone doing this right? I think there's, um, for, in the crypto space, uh, again, not at that scale, right? But we have seen a few bands issue um, a whole collection of a, an album with different tiers, right? The first one I can recall, I think, was Kings of Leon, maybe a couple of years ago. It was the first, like, it, they had like uh, maybe like 18 golden NFTs, and those uh, were going for like tens of thousands of dollars, and it would give you lifetime access to meet and greet in their shows. So that is one tier. And then there were other tiers where you got a vinyl at home that would come with, uh, with the NFT, and the other one was like just a Vaughn premiere of the album or future albums or something to that effect. This is all fan experience. This has nothing to do with ticketing, but it has everything to do with fan experience. And again, it has everything to do with the proximity between the artist and the fan, which right now in this particular example, there is a massive intermediary making a ton of mess. So I think if, if I can point to a trend, and I'm not even talking about music NFTs that we've spoken about at the show, but I think there's a lot of opportunity and especially in the way that fans connect to the artists, but also how artists reward the fans with better experience. And that is hopefully what the music industry is going to embrace. I'm sure there are a lot of startups out there that, that would say that they've solved some of this problem. And, and it's such a complicated value chain that there's all sorts of different parts of it that you can disintermediate and do something really interesting. I wonder, you know, Ticketmaster has been around for so many years. I wonder how much of their technology is actually now quite commoditized and could be relatively easy to pull out and, and, bring, and bring something new. But it is extremely complex. You've got lots of stakeholders, all with vested interests um, and a huge cost base to run these well, shows. Yeah. How do you lift everything that's being implemented? It's now legacy tech that is in every venue in, you know, around the world that is now connected to the same yeah. beaten system that's been running since, I don't know, late 80s. So it's really hard to actually uplift from that, but again, if the fan experience starts to be the like, core tenant of the ticketing industry, there will be incentives for that to change. And maybe a, you know, a disruptor comes in with a better fan experience, providing more value to the artist, provide great experience to the, UX, uh, the UX for the fans. And then Ticketmaster was gonna have to either do something, buy or <laughs> kill them, or um, you know, get on with the times or get disrupted. So, there is a lot of space, and this is completely free advice. So, so far we've discussed the issues and some of the potential solutions, but I think for the, you know, the last part of the show, I'd like to focus on the future um, and what we think the main takeaways are from this, from this situation. So, how should Ticketmaster have gone about this, David? If you were in charge, what would you have done? I think it's I I think it's really difficult to understand where Ticketmaster's incentives really lie. They're not standing up for their customers. They spend they, they clearly are spending a hell of a lot of money integrating their system into into the the value chain and making it as indi indispensable as possible. But investing almost nothing in the fan experience and and trying to to set up a, a better experience for their customers. So it's really difficult to know what they should be doing. But I can tell you the great thing about this is that this, because of how high profile this disaster has been, 
and the regulatory impetus in the US looking into this, this might be the very first time that people start to write regulation that demands that software, because don't forget, this is not just, I, I don't think this is just the events industry. I think this is about software as well in, in, in general and how terrible. I mean, who's tried to contact Facebook customer service, for example? I mean, just, it's, it's just impossible. I have, believe it or not, it's impossible to get through to anyone. Um, and this is the problem I think that, that software has, that it has a duty to its customer to do, to do better. So hopefully this, this might have ramifications for the entire software industry. Fingers crossed. Maurizio, what do you think are main learnings here? I think if this whole lawsuit goes in to the extent that it sounds it, it's going to, I think we're going to learn a lot more about the inner workings of not only the industry, but this player particularly. So then I think a proper uh, assessment or post-mortem of this will be done in front of the cameras and we'll have access to some of that. So I think this I'm hoping this lawsuit goes in. That's that's what I'm saying. Because of the learnings, not because I want uh, Ticketmaster to be punished. I think we all learn about the industry a lot more if that is the case. Remember, we're dealing with an artist that lost the rights to their own songs and re-recorded all of the records so that she would own them back again. So she can go the distance, right? And I think she will. That said, looking you know forward, I think Again, I'm, I'm a, I, I believe that crypto would allow us to do better identity management. Uh, there are all sorts of ways from NFTs, from so-bound tokens that would lend themselves well, integrated maybe with open banking and other sorts of data. Um, I think the ability to disintermediate all of these industry players uh, between the artist and the fan is there. We're seeing loads of examples. Uh, it, there's like... Um, Song XYZ, there's Royale, there's uh, Watery Music. Uh, a bunch of them are actually just cutting the middleman from the label to the distributor. So yeah, I think the, the, the path forward is to that proximity. Um, and obviously that requires a lot of uh, learning and experience from the fan base itself, which is, you know, it takes a little bit of time. Um, but the experiments are there, and they're being very interesting to witness the way they're reshaping the music industry as a whole. So while you're talking about the software industry, I think what crypto actually is doing for the artists is actually, you know, getting you closer to your audience, and and that is probably you know the closest uh, we'll see that happening. So I'm I'm just pushing for that, and obviously you know if the learnings from the lawsuit show us anything that is relevant, maybe we'll then figure out a way for Web3 to actually come in and help or a better software to come in and help. But I think it's, uh, it's, it's imperative that we see that go through. I would love this to be like a, a trigger for the industry to think about identities. We've talked about a lot, but also about payments. And I think I, I'm not a Taylor Swift mega fan. And I, I wasn't trying to buy tickets for Taylor Swift, but I was trying to buy tickets for Glastonbury. Um, and the main issue seemed to be there around like the authentication of payments. And I feel like we don't, as an industry, think about different types of payments. We try and treat all payments as the same and we try and process them all in the same way. Whereas actually I do think, and we see from customers, there's a difference between sort of spontaneous payments that you want to just make instantly, you don't want to plan for, and you're happy to kind of go through this more complex authentication process in the moment versus payments that you can anticipate a long way in advance where like, as you talked about, you know, maybe there could be a different process for you to pre-store that money, pre-upload that money, attach that money to an account or to pre-authenticate in different ways so that you have real confidence that in that moment when you just want to press buy, but nothing's going to break. 
Um, and I'd like to see us think as a whole a bit more about like the different nuances of, of payments. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we've rolled back to our jobs to be done kind of approach. Right? We're not trying to buy a ticket. We're trying to go to concert. That's a different problem, right? The whole thing in between is a mess. So how does the industry actually fulfills the mission of ha having people to go to a concert and experience a great show is what I think needs to be solved. Okay. Sadly, we're coming to the end of the show. We've run out of time. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Where can people find out a bit more about you guys? Um, Maurizio first. I'm on Twitter, Xerox Mauricio, on LinkedIn, Mauricio Magaldi, and obviously 11fs.com. David? Check me out on LinkedIn, um, at DavidBG. Awesome. And as for myself, you can find me on LinkedIn, Kate Moody, or on Twitter, at K8.Moody. And with that, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. This is all for today. Stay rare, stay weird. LFG.